Mr. Frankenstein. Ron and Anian. You're putting me on. No. It's pronounced Ron and Anian. The car was 4,000 miles overdue. It had gone 8,000 miles. That means since its last oil change, we took out three quarters of a quart of oil. What a filthy job. Could be worse. How? Could be raining. The car doctor. You've got the power in your hands to take care of that car. And if you don't, I think you're headed for a big fall somewhere else down the line. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, excuse me while I whip this out. Here's Ronnie. Hey, come on in, sit down. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor at your service here today. Thank you very much for being with me. I really appreciate the fact that you're taking time to spend time with me the next two hours or so on radio here as we talk about your automobile and the changing world of automobiles because it, it surely is changing, and we're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes. I want to get that out in the open, but um, right now I just want to say thanks, and I appreciate your being here. This radio show is all about you and your car and your questions, 855 855- Five six zero nine nine zero zero is the phone number. Again, that's eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Give us a call if we're not on the air and we're live out on the network Saturdays two to four p.m. Eastern time. If we're not on the air, leave a message and we will call you back and put you in the lineup and put you in the queue so we can talk to you up here on radio. And don't be afraid; it's only radio. Listen, it's just you and me, and uh, maybe my mom's listening and a few other people. It's it's no big deal, really. It, it really isn't. So uh, don't be afraid. Let's ask your question. This way, when I answer it and give you some direction, it will help not just you, but help everybody else, because that's really what I enjoy doing these past, well, 25 years on radio, 43 uh, years repairing automobiles. That's what makes it really great. Do you ever feel like you were living in the future? You want to go, want to, go to the future with me? I can take you there. You ready? Close your eyes. Take a deep breath and wait. Bang, we're in the future. And I I say it like that because I think we are moving faster towards the evolution and change of the automobile and the industry than I anticipated it. We lost five repair shops this week in North Jersey that I know of, that I can count that I had first-hand knowledge of. And two of them went out because the landlord where the properties were sitting decided that he wanted to sell the properties. And I get that. That happens. But they were on the verge of retirement and getting out and, you know, the, te- the cost of technology and the conversation with them was how do you keep up? And they were looking to get out anyway. The other three were, were pushed out by technology because it's changing so fast. They can't keep up. There's no way for them to keep up. I don't know what's going to happen to two of the, those three, but one of them is going to become a Wawa, which will make my the youngest nanny and very happy. She will get her cheese pretzels there if she ever comes home. But um, it, it just shows you where it's going. Now, one of the shops, a personal friend of mine, he he's going to be getting a job at a local dealership, and he, he told me where he was going and the, the car line and how he had sat down with the s- service manager and hired and they had this 
you know, candid conversation because it's really, you know, to you, the vehicle owner, you don't see this stuff. This is what we deal with every day. We're looking at the future. We're looking at the end of an industry. To you, you just see the car change, but, you know, you still get in it. You start it up. You fill it up with gas, or maybe you charge it electrically now. I don't know. And it still works. But for us, there's no more choke pull-offs. There's no more carburetor adjustments. There's there's no more valve jobs, engine repair. There's no more trans overhauls. Spoke to a fellow with an Amco transmission, a national franchise chain here in Jersey, and his franchise is expiring in a year, and he's not going to renew it. He's going to see if Amco does anything about it. But he said at one point they were doing 18 to 22 transmissions a month as of five years ago. Okay? He said in the last two years that has shrunk to two to three transmissions a month. Think about that. It has caused him to buy a tire machine, a brake lathe, start doing exhaust work. And my comment was, well, you're, you're, you're a day late and a dollar short because exhaust is gone. Um, you know, maybe there's some tire work out there yet. And there is. Tires are still around. But the rest of the stuff, brake work is drying up. The brake work doesn't exist like it once did. Cars don't go through brakes as often as they once did. Heck, look at a Toyota Prius. I defy anybody that, that owns a Toyota Prius to tell me they ever put back brakes on the car. Heck, front brakes on the car, for that matter. Just Front brakes, maybe. Rear brakes, never. Just They just don't seem to wear out. And looking at all of this, I can see the change. And I wonder if you do. I wonder if you're aware of it. Or to you, is it just, well, I bought a 2014 car, and now I'm going to go buy a 2017 car, and then you're going to buy a 2021 car. And Will you see the change? Will you experience it? And I don't, I don't know that you will. I don't know that you care. Here's where you'll care. Here's why it's important to be aware of all this. In thinking of the five repair shops that I know of that went out this week, I haven't heard of anybody opening a new repair shop in the area in a very long time. That that 22-year-old fresh-faced kid with a wad full of money to walk in the door and say, hey, I want to buy your business or I want to buy your building, hasn't happened. Not here. And maybe it's different for those of you in the Midwest. I realize, you know, we play everywhere. We're in Iowa. We're in Florida. We're in Southern California and so on. You know, it's different there. And I can tell it's different by reading the trends and the comments and the forums and, and the conversations of mechanics from around the country. They're, they're, they, they haven't seen to the degree that we're seeing it, in my opinion. And it's going to affect us. It's going to affect you. Because that's five less shops the Snap-on tr- tool driver gets to go to every week that the Mac tool guy doesn't have to go see anymore. That's five less shops that's making sandwiches out of the delicatessen. That's five less sets of employees. In some cases, two of the shops were big. They were 10, 15 person operations. And they're not driving to work anymore. They're not putting tolls in the toll bucket. They're not using up their cars, which didn't help the repair shops, but consumed automobiles. And, and that, that, process is going to be repeated over and over and over again as we make the change. And I just think it's the future. I really do. Someone said to me this week, she asked me, a a close personal friend, she asked me, she said, are you upset? I said, I don't know if I'm upset as much as concerned because it is a little unsettling. All of a sudden, imagine something you've done all your life and Poof, it's gone. 
and you're not doing it anymore. And nobody's doing it anymore. It's not something you did. It's just something that technology kind of twisted you around. I can see it in the radio show. We were talking about this last week after last week's show. I can see it in the radio show. Watch the calls that come in on a, on a regular basis. It seems like the 2014s, 2013s, you barely get questions about those. We had one 2014 Ford Escape question last week. It was a question about computer reflashing. It wasn't the car hiccuped and died or stalled or was flashing lights or wouldn't start or, you know, it was a computer-related problem. But the questions we get a lot are, my 20-year-old car needs exhaust and the stud broke off in the manifold. How am I going to get it out? Yeah, of course. You know, it's 20 years old. Of course you expect exhaust to go. But we're not getting calls for 10-year-old cars about exhaust studs. We're not getting cars for 5-year-old cars about exhaust studs because it doesn't go bad. It's better material, better made. It's just changing. So if you ever want to go to the future and get there with me, you're going to do it two ways. You're going to tune into this radio show or you're going to take the podcasts and listen to them, cardoctorshow.com, by the way, tune in iHeart, iTunes, etc. You're going to close your eyes and breathe. Count to five, and when you open them, you're in the future. And whatever you see, yeah, that's really it. Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here. Look at that. I'm here again. It must be the future. We're going to kick the garage doors wide open and uh, start taking your phone calls. But first, let's pull over and take this pause. But I'll be back at 855-560-9900. Stay tuned. Running the car doctor here, 855 is the phone number. Yeah, Tony was asking me during the break, he said, so Ron, was it was it a surprise that those shops went out? And I, I said, you know, Tony, they've, they've been around a long time. One of the shops was built back in the 50s, a uh, big, gigantic six-bay Sunoco station, huge. And it was interesting, the one fellow that I know that's going to get a job in a dealership, um, the service manager said, yeah, we're just having a hard time keeping up with technology ourselves, and we expect... The manufacturer of that car line is expecting to take over at least 40% of the independent repair shop business in the next four to five years because the fact that they can't keep up with technology or keeping up with it's going to be that much harder. And and my question to that was, so are people going to be happy being forced by technology strictly going back to dealerships if they don't have a choice? And, and, and that makes an interesting argument too you know remember the independent automotive repair shops really came to be as a result of the second world war there there was no dealership chain then there was no place to take your car to get a fix other than the corner garage and that's where the independent aftermarket came from they were remanufacturing parts and manufacturing parts and things were being assembled as a result of the war once the war was over obviously the dealership Structure went into place, and it grew from there. My point being that people have always had that choice. And I know, you know what, it'll never be 100% one way or the other, but 
it's going to change drastically. The landscape is changing, and that was the point of my opening comments. But good thought, Tony. I appreciate it, as always. My man, Big T, on the other side of the glass, keeping me honest and keeping me going. Let's kick the garage doors open and go over and talk to Douglas. Douglas, Ron and the car doctor at your service, sir. How can I help? Yes, this is uh, – I've got a couple of questions to ask you. Go ahead. I've got an 04 GMC with a 6.0. I've got 145,000 miles on it. And I've changed the oil regularly every 3,000 miles since I hit it. And it, it, it don't burn a drop of oil. Would it be wise for me to to switch over to the high-mileage oil now? Um, would, would, you know, the, the cost of it, would it be worth it? It's not going to hurt anything. You know, let me explain. The, the idea behind high-mileage oil, Douglas, is they're putting additives in there to help uh, keep the seals soft they're putting additives in there to reduce burn off potential because the theory becomes that after a certain amount of mileage an engine will start to burn off oil you know i'm surprised high mileage oil hasn't made a bigger dent in the marketplace in terms of market share and then i'm also surprised that it actually came to be because i think the person that does the oil change like you every 3000 miles I don't think they need to, not in my opinion, not from what I've seen. And I'm going on what I've seen in the Bay firsthand and what I've what I've read and, and, and stayed up on over the years. So I question it at that point. I think just using a good oil, a good filter, regular service, I think that's the key to longevity. It's it's just like it's just like taking care of yourself. You know what? I'm I'm getting to be at a ripe old age now and I've taken care of myself each and every day and I've done my due diligence and here I am, so proof's in the pudding. Okay, one more question. Uh, uh, can I say a brand name? On sure, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I use uh, Lucas Fuel Injection Cleaner. Every time I change the oil, I put some of that in the gas tank. Is that a good idea? Um, I like that idea, yeah. Um, I like fuel injection additives uh, probably more frequently than that, but doing it every oil change is a good idea. And, you know, Lucas is a good brand. We don't have exposure to it here in North Jersey like I'd, I'd like to or if I wanted to. I've got enough other choices. Uh, you know, we were talking about this last week. Tecron, Berryman, uh, CRC One Tank, Power Renew, and I've gotten a couple of requests, more than a couple of requests the past week about a prescription. What would I write for each one of those cars? Because I think each one of those cleaners has a different place from what I've read. I'm not as up on Lucas and their fuel injection cleaner as I am on the others. Uh, but I will tell you this, my exposure to Lucas products, uh, from what I see day-to-day -day in the shop, we still have, there's a Lucas trans additive uh, for trans that are slipping. There's a Lucas power steering additive. Both of those are great products, and they work really well. That's correct. So uh, what what would you figure? Every 1,000 or 1,500 miles? Oh, you know, once a month. How, how many miles do you go in a month, Douglas? I don't put much on. Maybe, oh, I don't know, four or 500 miles. A month? Yeah. Um, you know, once a month then. So what is that, about a tank and a half? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so you know what? Once once a month, once every once every six weeks. Here's the, here's the deal, all right? And here's why, you know, if you had called me 10 years ago, and I was on the air 10 years ago, uh, <laughs> if you had called me 10 years ago, I would have said, you know, it would have been strictly Tecron, and it would have been on a regular basis, and we would have had a different conversation. It was a different generation of engines. Your 04 6-liter uh, GMC truck is is 
pretty much old school. There's some new things about it, but the concern is still carbon. If this was a gasoline direct injection engine, which it's not, then the conversation would have been geared more towards a heavier dose of or a stronger in-tank solution because that's the only way you can clean the carbon other than pulling things apart and doing walnut shells and things we used to do 35, 40 years ago. My point is I don't think you can be overly concerned about carbon deposits on engines today simply because of what I see the industry trying to do. And by the industry, I mean the gasoline industry under regulations by the government. The industry is still being forced within the next 18 months from everything I've read to take fuel additives, the things that clean the fuel, you know, the carbon, fuel cleaning additives, the detergent additives out of gasoline. So it's going to be a matter of octane and a few other things, but the differences in terms of, you know, one company saying ours cleans better than theirs, I don't think that's going to be in a, a marketing campaign anymore or anything they can market around it. Uh, you know, it's going to make the need for using a fuel system tank cleaner on a regular basis just that much more important. So, you know, let me ask you this. Let me ask you a question, Douglas. You've, you're changing the oil and you're doing gasoline additive. Are you changing, yeah. any, are you changing any of the other fluids? I, uh, I've i had all the, the front end, rear end, the transmission, because I, I have a six-speed standard in mine. Right. And I, I changed that fluid. I've had all, all the fluids changed. Right. Correctly. Right. And that's good. And, and, and that's real good. Uh, brake fluid? I, brake fluid. I just, had, I just had all the brake lines changed. Right. Of course, and you know the weather we have up here with all the stuff. And sure, yeah. I had um, I, I had a, a brake line let go because of that, so I I knuckled under for the five hundred dollars and done all the lines and all that stuff. So we're 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 good there. All new brake fluid and everything. Now, did they use did they use the kit available from General Motors? Yes, it, yes. it's a zinc coating. Yep, yep. They've changed that, and for everyone else's benefit out there, General Motors has had their issues. With brake lines on the oh gee, I think it started way back as early as the early '90s, and I'm not sure how yeah. far back the kits go. But for a lot of the GMC trucks and and GM trucks and Suburbans and SUVs and everything of that class, they've got more than a few brake line kits out there, and they're a zinc coated line and then a plastic coated line. They've really made some great changes, and I can't praise them for it because, in this mechanic's opinion, they should have done it right in the first place. But they did get their act together, and, um, you know, I always say car companies, they all have their problems, they all have their issues. It depends on how fast it takes them for them to wise up and get smart. Douglas, I appreciate the call, and I'm proud to count you among my listeners. And I wish you many more miles in your GMC truck, and I want to thank you for taking the time today. You take good care. You have a good weekend. I'm Ron Anini in The Car Doctor, 855-560-9900 is the phone number. Call now. Get in on The Car Doctor hotline. I'll be back right after this. Don't go away. We're on the name the car doctor, 855-560-9900. Let's uh, get over. Let's go talk to Dave, Minnesota, with a 2013 Hot Wheels Camaro. Cool. Dave, welcome to the car doctor, sir. What's going on? Hello there. Yes, sir. So I've got a 2013 Hot Wheels Camaro. It's got a 6.2 liter in it. And the fellow that had it before me, um, right when he bought it, 
put a Langenfelter um, supercharger on it. Okay. Okay. Um, and my question is, when I'm going down the road, let's say I got the cruise set at 65 miles an hour, it feels like the boost, it feels like there's a boost, pul- um, pulsating boost, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Like it's, you know, you'll be like driving it's, along and like you'll feel the car off. kind of, yeah, you'll, you'll just feel it kind of like surge a little bit. And I'm just wondering if that's typical. I've never had a car with a supercharger in it before, so no, that's not that's not typical. You know, this, the idea of the supercharger it's supposed to run pretty smooth, and if it's if it's married together correctly, it's it's seamless. It's something you don't really experience uh, until you you know hit it and put your foot into the headlight, and then off it goes. So my questions are like, well, let me let me say it like this. My questions would be: so it's a Lingenfelder bolt-on kit onto an otherwise regular port fuel injected or injected Camaro, have you talked to Lingenfelder to, you know, ask them what the guidelines are or what the expectations are? No, I, I haven't. I talked to them when I first got the car, um, and they sent me all the video of the car, so I had it. So I had all the documentation because a dealership that this guy traded in at did not have it. Right. So, and, and this is my first step. Right. Asking because, you. Because I was you driving know, down the road, I heard your show, and I'm like, you know, yeah, you why might not? know. Thank you. Um, well, first of all, a 2013 Hot Wheels Camaro is a, is, is a rare piece. So I'm, I'm sure Lingenfelder, if it, it was it done at Lingenfelder at the Lingenfelder garage itself. Yes, it was. Yeah, I would think they would remember the car, and you know, they do. They yeah, do actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, my experience, whether it's an aftermarket or a, or a factory supercharged car. You wouldn't want that type of a, you know, like the cars going and pulling back and going and pulling back sensation because <laughs> why would you want to drive it? It's uncomfortable. And I'm sure it is, right? I'm sure. Well, it's, it's not that bad. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. It's just, I'm just curious what would cause that. Uh, probably the way the boost valve is set up or either that or maybe there's a fault in the fuel curve. If if we were going to take a look at it, I would tell you I'd want to see what fuel trim was. I'd want to know who's got the tune in it and who has the command for the tune. I'm sure Lingenfelder has their own uh, tune add-on module that will modify fuel and spark curve to get it to do what it wants to do. So I'd want to know, is that is that adjustable? And it probably is. And that's, okay. that, that's one of your questions to them. Uh, you know, think of it. Think, okay. it, think of it like this. You, you bought a car with an engine computer on it from General Motors, and General Motors says, uh, you know, we're going to make this much advance and this much fuel trim, and we're going to run the car this way. And then Lingenfelder comes along and puts their kit on it. And then they say, okay, we're going to either take away GM's kit and do this completely with our own setup, or we're going to add this on top of GM's computer and modify their modification. So, okay. you know, your question to Lingenfelder has to be, A, is this normal? Because a regular supercharged Camaro, because they're out there, doesn't have that problem, and you no. know that's that's number one. And then number two, um, you know, the question is: Is it modifiable? Is it is it? Can you change it? You know, and um, is it a matter of just you know installing a tune or programming it differently? A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about it, and maybe this is the time to bring it up. There's a company out there, Diablo Sport, DiabloSport.com. Matter of fact, last week we gave away a programmer, and what, what what a programmer gives you the ability to do is you could dial in and tell it, I've got a 2013 Camaro, you know, this is the gear ratio, this is the tire size, this is the octane fuel I want to use, 
and I want to try a mild tune, a, a medium-range tune, an aggressive tune, and so on. But my point is, back in the day, we used to do all this tuning with screwdrivers and timing lights. Now, now they're right. now, now they're doing it electronically. And you know, maybe if Lingenfelder comes back to you and says, "Well, our our supercharger works in conjunction with the GM computer, and we just put our own software in there, and there is no way to tune it," then my question would be. If you talk to a company like Diablo Sport, do they have the ability to modify that tune? Okay. That's another way to go. That's another way to look at it. i got to believe they would be able to. You would think. I mean, that's you would, what they do. You would hope. All right. But you right. know what? I you know, I, I, gotta, I have to tell you, Dave, I never take anything for granted. In the day and age of, a, of, of listen, the way the presidential election's going with the insanity of that, I don't take anything for granted anymore. So I uh, that's true. I I, I, tr- I try to look at everything from a calm, cool perspective, and uh, if this doesn't work, how do I go on to the next thing? Um, so uh, right. that, that's that's how I would approach it. Those are the questions I would be answering. But I'm sure I'm sure there's a way to repair it. I'll put it to you this way: I I was reading the trades and the journals, and I read the failure reports. You know, you know, I guess I'm. I guess I'm just a sadist at heart. I sit at, I sit up in bed at night and I read the failure reports that come in from around the country from various mechanic websites and things that are failures. And I was reading about the supercharged uh, Camaros, as a matter of fact, two weeks ago, and a P033 supercharger bypassed valve solenoid control circuit is the fifth or fourth or fifth biggest failure GM is having with that particular model. So I know the bypass valve control is a real issue. And they they really take a look at it. It has to be dead nuts on the money to uh, to make the vehicle run properly. So my point is that they can be finicky, they can be fussy, but there are ways to tune them and adjust them. Okay. All right, sir. Well, that was my million dollar question. Um, Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Hey, D- Dave, before you go, real quick, what part of Ohio are you in? Yeah. I'm in. Oh, I bought it in Ohio. I'm in Minnesota. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're listening to us out in Minnesota way. All right. Just curious. Yeah. Always, always want to know where All the right. affiliates are. Listen, you have a good afternoon, and thanks for being part of the car, Doctor. We appreciate it. You take good Thank care. You. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Um, quick piece of email. Um, well, how you like that? See that? Now, that that's, a, that's a rare car, a 2013 Hot Wheels Camaro. Uh, you know, they, they produce those in, in limited numbers, and part of the reason they produce those in such limited numbers was, you know, it's, it's, they, they were paying homage to the kids that grew up. That generation had come of age, and those kids played with those cars they were Hot Wheels, and, uh, you know, it's kind of neat. So he's he's actually got a very rare piece there. He's got something, I won't say it's as rare as a Copo Camaro, a 69 Copo or a ZL1 or any of those, but, you know, it's a that's a pretty rare piece. So don't think factory hot rods aren't there. I was going to do a piece of email. Let's pull over and take the pause. I'll do the email when I get back. Ron and Annie, the car doctor at your service, 855-560-9900. Don't go away. We're coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Let's go over and talk to Tina, Peekskill, New York. Tina, you're on with the Car Doctor. How can I help? Hi, Ron. How are you doing? All right. How are you? 
Good. Um, so I have a 2013 um, Subaru Impreza, 60,000 miles, and I noticed that it's time for some recommended service. Now, the manufacturer and my mechanic tell me two different things on what is actually due, so I wanted to see, in your opinion, what should be done. Okay. What's, um, can you give me a brief idea of what the manufacturer is saying? Um, yeah, they were saying, um, let me see, tune-up and... Uh, like my mechanic was saying, no, that's not till a hundred thousand miles. Well, define. Um, that's one example. Let's 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 start there. What's define tune-up? What are they saying is a tune-up? Um, the spark plugs, PCV valve, the air filter. Um, I don't think it has a fuel filter. No, it doesn't. Um, yeah. Um, so that basically, and I'm trying to think. They said, oh, they said, um. Prestone and transmission are not due until 100,000 miles either, and that kind of concerned me. Or the rear diff. Well, the the um, okay, the transmission, in all likelihood, this is this is, this should be a CVT trans. Yes. Right, and they don't call for that to be replaced. Well, they call for it at 60 manufacturer wise, but I know a lot yeah. of them. I know a lot of them don't. All right. Okay. Now, the spark plugs at 60. I believe they call for it, and I would tell you the best way yeah. to do it is to check it in the owner's manual. They'll give you a table in the back of the book. I would look under right. I would look under the severe service application. Oh, okay. All right, because to me, is it mo- best to go according to their service manual or my uh, mechanic's recommendation? Well, let's. Uh, well, I'm not sure what your mechanic's recommending. I don't know what he's basing it on. Oh, all right, I could tell you all fluid changes, um, and basically, yeah, that's about. About it, um, but he did recommend the transfer case also. So, so your your mechanic is your mechanic is how is your mechanic different than the manufacturer? What's he saying is is different? They, not to do well, the tune up. Well, no um, tune up. Okay, and but he did recommend like the rear diff and the uh, Prestone and the uh, transmission, where the manufacturer did not. Okay. Uh, Subaru is very funny. Let me start at the back of the car then. First of all, the rear diff fluid is either going to be a synthetic or a conventional 80-90 weight gear oil. I uh-huh. I have no problem changing that every 30,000 miles, never mind every okay. never mind every 60. So I agree with that. Gear oil is gear okay. oil. Uh, you know, in a Subaru, I'm sure you're out in all kinds of weather. Uh, you know, most people buy Subarus because they want it for the four-wheel drive power and the, yeah. the, 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 the bad weather capability. And, you know, it's it's not being abused, but it's being worked. So I have no problem changing right. gear oil on a regular basis. Trans fluid at 60, I'm not one to let any fluid go the, the limit. It seems that every CVT trans has a different timeline or a different fluid requirement. I believe Subaru does call for it at 60, and I would verify that against the service manual. If they say change it, change it. And it will either be in a service manual or it will be in your owner's manual in the back. They always give you a chart and a recommended guide to follow as far as severe service. Now, I'm saying manufacturer, not what the dealer prints out. Dealers do have a bad habit of coming up with their own book. They'll make it look like the factory book, but there's little nuances and differences there that you can tell that make you say, Uh yeah, this is the real deal. So I have no problem doing gear oil. I have no problem doing transfer case. I have no problem doing trans if they recommend it. Spark plugs, I believe Subaru calls for plugs at 60. If they call okay. for if they call for plugs at a hundred, then I would tell you to change them at seventy five to eighty, following my twenty percent rule that I always talk about. Because by the time the car gets a hundred thousand miles on it, the plugs probably won't come out of the aluminum head; they'll be stuck. So, right. and, and that becomes a that becomes a horse of another color. That's a whole other problem. 
but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure they'll I'm pretty sure they'll call for it at sixty. An air filter is a no brainer. A cabin filter wouldn't be a bad idea. If it has one, it should. A cabin filter really typically gets replaced every fifteen to twenty thousand miles, depending upon operating conditions. And then I would tell you to have some type of a carbon cleaning done. Something where they are doing a couple of things. Cleaning the throttle body, which is the air yeah. intake. Putting a fuel system cleaner in the tank, which you should be doing on a regular, every three-month basis at the least. All right? Mm-hmm. And doing a carbon cleaning where you're hooking a machine up with some sort of detergent chemical in it to clean the injectors, the intake, and the tops of the pistons. And Yeah. W- Go ahead. What fuel cleaner do you recommend for that? In that car? In that car, I think you'll be fine with either a Tecron. Tecron will work well. Or a uh, or Berryman, if you can find it. Berryman's a little tough to find right now. Um, you can find Okay, Berryman and at- how about the Prestone change? That's okay, too? Well, you know, when they talk about Prestone, first of all, you're going to put Subaru coolant in it, not Prestone. I'm not a fan. Right. Of, I'm not a fan of universal antifreezes unless I absolutely positively have no choice. I'm not convinced of it. Oh. And okay. y- you know, tell your mechanic if he's going to end up doing it to be cautious. There is a bulletin out from Subaru where they don't want people to do coolant flushes. I don't necessarily agree with this, but Subaru's concern is that if a shop is doing multiple different types of coolant flushes and they did a Ford prior to the Subaru, there's going to be some residue yeah. of the Ford coolant in there, and then that's going to contaminate what goes into the Subi. So I get that. I understand that. But, you know, the likelihood of a shop having a dedicated Subaru machine, so I always tell everybody, listen, just make sure the shop flushes the container that the coolant goes into and empties it. And then, you know, doing Subaru stuff, uh, yeah, I have no problem with that. You'll be just fine. Okay. All right? Okay. It would be um, safe to do the transmission fluid even before the recommended time, yes, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Ab- absolutely. All right, good. It's, it's not like you're changing it every 10,000. If you're changing it every 60 and they call for it every 100, I have no problem with that. You know, there's okay. there, always remember there's manufacturer spec and there's real world. Yeah. You and I live in the real world. I'm not trying to sell you a car in 200,000 miles. I'm trying to keep your car on the road so I don't have to deal with you getting a new one every couple of years. All right? Okay, great. You're very welcome, Tina. Very welcome. Very welcome. Take good care. 855-560-9900. We're back right after this. Welcome back. I want to name the Car Doctor. Uh, more about this radio show at cardoctorshow.com. Also, tune in iHeart, iTunes.com, good places for podcasting. Keep in mind, we also have a Facebook page, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor, if you want to get out there. We've been posting videos. Haven't done any, didn't do any this week. We were very busy in the shop this week. Uh, had a bunch of crazy things going on. Some, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a real quick story, then I want to do this piece of email. So we had a, a 2007 Dodge Caravan that came in, and it's a handicap vehicle. The gentleman that owns it's handicap, he's in a wheelchair. And we had to uh, change the battery and we're just give it the once-over, look it over. The driver's side rear shock is broken, and it's a big, beefy shock, big, heavy shock. I never realized how big these shocks really were. I took a really hard look at them, and it's probably where a normal shock is maybe three inches in diameter. These shocks are at least eight, nine inches in diameter. They're huge. They're two and a half, three times the size of a regular shock absorber. So, you know, in talking to Chrysler, 
my parts guy goes, yeah, that's probably a handicap vehicle. I said, yeah, how'd you know that? And he said, well, because they usually put those that option in the handicap vehicles because that's their load leveling shock. It adjusts, it adjusts for the extra weight because they put, you know, slide out ramps and special chairs and things like that for, for handicap. So, yeah, okay, so I need one of those. It actually broke the bottom strap. How much do you think a pair of load leveling shocks are? For, and this is why, this is exactly why when the independent aftermarket gets pushed out by technology and there aren't enough repair shops left, this is exactly why the motoring public is going to be in real trouble. How much do you think two rear shocks are for a 2007 Chrysler minivan? Load leveling option. Well, typical shocks are, you know, anywhere 45 50 bucks a piece. $567 a piece. $1,100 for two shock absorbers, and they're not even in the car yet. So when you think about how this, this change, it was a great segue, great way to end this hour. When you think about the change of, of, of how we're watching this industry go away, think about how it's going to affect you and your pocketbook and where you're going to get your car fixed. I'm Ron Annie in The Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.